Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Sidequest. The funeral ceremony is today. Kathleen's been dead for seven years. Why do you keep having the same ceremony over and over again? Castle Halloran is a very strange place. The kind of place you'd expect a ghost to like to wander around in. And it's haunted by Kathleen. How did she die? She drowned in the pond. You remember all those years ago? The dreams, faces in the shadows. They're Kathleen stars. One of you has a brilliantly imaginative and sadistic mind. There's something in this house. Tell me what happened. There's some things you don't understand. Not yet. I think cinephiles are, are on this other end of the spectrum. But I think a cinephile is more of a student of cinema. A movie lover is going to be less discriminated. Sidequest. Bring some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Sometimes, that is better. He's sick for fucks. seen one too many movies. No. Don't you blame the movie! Sidequest. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains. Okay. Show me. SideQuest. The podcast. You opened it. We came. It's just a podcast. We'll review your movie from every angle. SideQuest. Hello and welcome listeners to episode number 16 of SideQuest Podcast. As always, I am one half of your hosting team here, of David from Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. And as always, I am being joined by... It's your main man, Jake, from Dark Mariachi Studios, and I'm here representing Guitar Case Fully Reviews Podcast. Perfect. And for this episode here is, I was trying, I mean, this is kind of like the last month where we can really kind of keep up with... A type of theme like this but since st patrick's day was not too long ago i decided to try i mean i didn't want to do any more of the leprechaun films because i've <laughs> been watching those in consecutive years and where i'm at now i'm not necessarily thrilled to keep going to so i decided instead to pick a movie from ireland that was i believe the most popular according to letterboxd and the movie that we're going to be covering today is dementia 13 and I actually believe this is probably the oldest film that we've covered here on the show as well. And I guess before we jump into the movie and kind of anything like that, um, how's everything been going on your end? Oh, pretty good, man. Uh, same old, same old this way. Uh, Texas has weird weather, as always, so we've had a really weird <laughs> couple of days of weather. Uh, right now it's cold outside. It's like 40s for no reason. We're heavy okay. wind. I'm like, it's March. <laughs> it's almost April. What's going on? <laughs> but then right. it was hot like two days ago, so that's that's Texas. We had like a hill, rainstorm, tornado thing going oh, yesterday. So it's like, the weather here is always weird. And then I was sick yesterday, man. So that made it kind of rough too for me. So it's it's pretty much um, 
in my life, everything's been okay, but just that's been kind of rough. <laughs> the weather and getting yeah. sick. Because I really hate to get sick, and I usually try to fight it and not be sick and just keep doing what I do. So that probably didn't help because I was still out <laughs> with a fever trying to do stuff. So I just went home and took some meds and called it a night at that point. I didn't wake up. I think I talked to you yesterday briefly, and yeah. I took some medicine. And then I think I woke up one more time in the night and took some more and went back to sleep. So I was asleep most of the night. Well, hey, I mean, it seems like it kind of helped you and everything, so I'm glad to hear that you're feeling better. Yes, sir. That was tough, man. I'm the kind of person that really like to be sick because, like, usually, like, it takes a lot for me to really be down, too. So it's like, uh, I usually, like, I, I promise you I will fight it if I can, but I don't know what it was last night, man. I was just out of there. I'm right there with you. That's kind of how I get when I come down with anything is I try to fight it as long as I can before I finally have to just give in and tend to do what you do where I'll just uh, try to take some meds and then for me a lot of times if I experience if I have a fever I try to sweat it out and then that usually kind of helps to kind of break it within usually that night. Yeah. Well I was sweating for sure because I was hot. Everybody else was, in the house would say it was cold <laughs> and I'm burning up so I'm like can we turn on the fan? Can, we, can I turn on the air? They're like no it's cold outside. I'm like oh god. So I'm sitting. <laughs> That's kind of what happens when you have a lot of people at your house too. You can't get control of the the AC or the heater. Everybody else yeah. has priority for some reason. But that's fair. So what's been going on with you, man, up north? Anything anything new with you? Uh, I mean, we're kind of encountering similar things that you're talking about. Is that we had some really nice weather to end last week, and then it's been rainy and cold here the last couple days. Where I'm the type of person that I turn off the heat in hopes that I don't have to turn it back on. But then today I was working from home and was literally shivering at my computer. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to at least turn the heat on low because this is, you know, very uncomfortable. <laughs> and knowing my luck, I'd probably end up getting sick by just, you know, trying to fight through that and everything. But, I mean, outside of that, everything else in, you know, life has been good, just been kind of busy when the weather starts to turn like this that there just seems to be a lot more things that I need to kind of take care of and everything. But everything seems to be kind of settling in once again. Oh, that's awesome, man. And how's your wife? Everything good? Yeah, yep, everything's going good there. We're actually going to go up to Cleveland here this weekend to visit some of her friends and potentially um, one of my buddies that lives up there as well. All right, man, because I know you guys get into some, some cool stuff. And if you guys haven't checked it out, man, they oh, he has a couple episodes, or more than a couple now, where they've kind of went in and talked about some, uh, some of the, the uh, remakes and uh, newer versions of uh, some of the classic movies, and they go back and watch them the original one, and they go back and watch the newer one that just came out. So that's something really cool as a couple to be doing that. So that's something I always try to catch. So for the listeners at home, make sure you tap into that uh, whenever you get a chance on Journey with a Cinephile. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, that's a really cool thing y'all do, man, honestly. Perfect. And then, um, so then to kind of start jumping into what we're going to be covering here, um, I guess to start off with, um, what was your history, if any, with this movie here of Dementia 13? This is another one, and I'm, I'm just going to start calling this list the flyby list or the pass-by list. This is another one where I've passed by this, this cover a few times, and I've thought about it, and I just never pushed it for whatever reason. But it was always an interesting cover, and I thought it looked really cool. I just never knew if it was like a newer movie with a old school, like a fake ground, groundhouse type of movie. Or if it was actually like an older movie. I didn't I never really knew what anything about it. And so I just but I always thought the artwork looked really cool when I would pass it. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting is I'm in the similar boat to you, is that like 
the title always kind of caught my like attention and i always thought it was cool but outside of that i had no idea about this movie like because even when i recommend it to you and we were talking in the pregame about this is that like i didn't know what it was necessarily about i just knew that it was from ireland so it kind of fulfilled that like requirement that i was looking for and then i was like well this could be an easy opportunity to knock this movie off my list since I kind of have so many movies that I'm trying to watch at some point that when I can kind of, you know, make an excuse to let one jump up the list and I'm like, all right, let's go ahead and just kind of tackle this one here. Yeah, and I was surprised when you, when I saw it, I kind of looked up on it a little bit, that uh, Francis Ford Coppola was the director because I didn't expect him to be the director of this movie. Right, exactly. Same here. When I saw that, I was like, well, this is kind of interesting that we're going to be covering such like a prolific director here. Yeah, and so early in his career because this is like one of his early, early films. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... You're catching him right at right at the beginning of him really, I guess, developing his style. So sure. I do think that's an interesting thing when you see a director's early work and kind of see if you can see like any of that in their early work, some of the stuff they kind of perfect later on. And I feel like this is probably a movie kind of like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's also kind of interesting is that this movie was produced by Roger Corman. And like, because I know... It's actually kind of interesting about him is that there's so many like filmmakers and whatnot that he's helped to get their start. And if you would have told me that one of them was Francis Ford Coppola, I would have been just completely shocked by that. Yeah, I would have never guessed that, that ever. <laughs> right, exactly. But I guess you'd be surprised the people that have connections in Hollywood, dude. For sure. Okay, man. Um, you want to keep uh, going into that what we were just talking about here because there's a lot of interesting facts about that relationship. Yeah, I'll go ahead and introduce the rest of kind of the stats in the movie, and then we'll kind of go into what we were talking pregame about the different things that we kind of figured out from the like production and everything. But as I was saying, this movie is from 1963. I think this is, I'm saying, the earliest movie that we've covered. This was written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, with Jack Hill being the second unit, uh, I guess, writer. I'm not really sure. That's not usually something I see kind of associated together there. But this stars William Campbell, Luana Anders, and Bart Patton. This is a horror thriller film that was a co-production of... I know Ireland is one of them, and then the United States would be the other country. And the synopsis is, shocked by the death of her spouse, a scheming widow hatches a bold plan to get her hands on the inheritance. Unaware that she is targeted by an axe-wielding murderer who lurks in the family's estate. What mystery shrouds the noble house? So let's go ahead and get into kind of some of the stuff that you were sharing with me that I thought was pretty interesting in pregame. Okay, so um, one thing I thought I found out is that uh, Roger Corman was making another movie and actually had some extra budget left over and decided that he would let uh, Francis Ford Coppola use that to make a low-budget horror movie because he was doing the sound work on that on that production that he had finished. I didn't know that that's how he started in doing like sound work. That's kind of cool too. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Yeah, so that's so it's kind of I wonder just just that and I'll we'll jump back into it. But I wonder um, how many famous people get their start like that. I'm sure a lot of people get their start working on other people's movies in smaller roles, but then get the opportunity right. because you make those connections. But um, okay, so let's jump back into what I was saying. So um, so uh, interesting enough. Um, and I think it's cool that he he was able just to get another twenty thousand was it twenty thousand extra? Cause he had twenty thousand, twenty two thousand, I believe. Or twenty thousand. I think so. That sounds about right. But Coppola was able to actually get another 
20,000 or 22,000 on his own by like shopping it with another producer or something. Hmm. So he was able to actually get some money on it before they even filmed it. <laughs> so he must have had some connections that that I didn't that we didn't really know about already too. I mean, it kind of sounds like cuz I know he was doing some like I've heard some people say that this is, or I was reading up at least, that this was his feature film debut, but I was looking through IMDb and it doesn't look like that's actually the case, but it does sound like some of the other movies kind of had some issues getting out there, so it does seem like he might have had some connections like you were saying and was able to kind of work with them to kind of help fund this. And I just read something right now as I was going through my notes, and we talked about it, and I didn't realize that it said this in there. Because I kind of copy and pasted a couple uh, articles. And yeah. um, it actually said that that's what Corman wanted, was a was a cheap psycho. I know we talked about that in pregame. Oh, But a okay. cheap psycho copy with more brutal killing. Okay. So, yes, that's that's what they were going for. Okay, we, we actually talked about that. So, yeah, and, and in this, uh, I want to bring that, I want to talk about that a little bit. As we get into the movie, we'll talk about it more. But, yeah, there are some elements yeah. that are semi-psycho-esque, I guess you could say. Yeah, agreed. But uh, interesting enough, um, he did give him the chance, Roger Corman. So I do think that's interesting. He gave, without him, there would probably be no Godfather. So just think about that. Or it no, actually makes you wonder. <laughs> right. That's an interesting alternate universe where he didn't make Godfather and all this <laughs> stuff. Right. I don't know. Well, it's kind of interesting that we were also talking about in the pregame about how, like, when we. Saw the name, obviously, like, I mean, at this time he was just Francis Coppola, is that, like, we kind of knew him from more of his, like, blockbuster-type movies. Because, like, I mean, obviously, when I hear the name, I always think of, like, the Godfather series. Yeah, the or, more, like, Apocalypse the more epic, now. the more epic film. Right, yeah. right. And, I mean, I guess even in horror, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I know he was a producer for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that came out soon after that one. So it's kind of fun to see him in his, like, early career. Yeah, because you really... Like we're saying, you kind of get to see some some shades of it, but it's interesting yep. to me that once he got that epic movie career, that's that's kind of the most all the movies he made pretty much were like that. Yeah, for, yeah. Until later in his career, maybe, but earlier it was all like that. So I, I don't know. It's interesting enough. I've I can't I like some of his movies. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I say he's my favorite director, but I do appreciate a lot of his work. I'll say that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, if you would have asked me, like, right there near the end of high school, I was really into, like, The Godfather 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. And I probably, and I mean, I also liked uh, Dracula, so I probably would have had him in the running. But it's weird, though, is he's made so many movies, like you were saying, that are, like, listed on the IMDb, like, top 100, that, like, he should be up there for me, but for whatever reason, there's just some guys that speak to me more. Yeah, so, it's like, a weird thing, it, though, right, it, when you think about it? Because he's made so many. Like, I was blown away, like, even going back over his uh, list, of because some of the movies I didn't even know he had made. So I was like, wow. So, yeah, right. it's... You would think he should be... I mean, if you're going just a technically technical director, I guess he would be, but... Yeah, he's hard to top there. Yeah, but like you say, like, some some people might speak to you differently or... Maybe they're coming from more of a same, similar, you know, kind of maybe a background or experiences mm-hmm. that you have, so they can they speak to that and it touches you. I don't know. There's film is so weird like that because movies touch people in different ways. So that's why I always like having, you know, a lot of different representation in directors, so we can get all those different connections with people. You know. 
Agreed, one hundred percent. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's interesting, man. That that's something, and I don't, I don't want to get us off track, but it's just something that I'm always interested in when I ask people, like why they like the movie or not, and just to hear their response. It's always interesting. Yeah, because you never know what they're gonna say, and you never know if it's gonna be like really detailed or if they're gonna give you just a really <laughs> quick answer. You never know. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, okay, we could jump back in on this though. Okay. So where? Were we, okay, so um. I think I covered... Did I cover everything I wanted on that? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, because I don't have anything after that. Okay, that's all I got on, on the uh, the pre-production. Okay. Um, and then... I'm not going to go fully into this. Um, I will put this up here, is that once we get into the movie, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen this, I would recommend watching this. But it's actually kind of interesting, is that originally this movie was going to be titled Dementia... But it looks like there was a movie of the same name in 1955. So it was pitched to Coppola to change the title. And then that's where like, the number 13 was added onto here because it's a spooky number and it sounded good together. And then there's actually something in the movie that actually plays into how Dementia 13 actually kind of fits and works. And that was one of those things where Coppola was like, okay, like this actually has something to do with the movie. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing is that it kind of seemed like a happy mistake or like a happy like happenstance. But I, I love when things like that come together and it's not necessarily what they planned to do originally. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always good when you get a little bit of luck too. <laughs> and things work Agreed, out. Agreed, yep. I mean, I had a football coach in high school that said it's sometimes better to be lucky than good. Yeah, and I think that's true in some cases. I mean, not always, of course, but it's interesting. I'm looking at the poster right now as we're talking about this, and there's a weird thing on the poster that's like, are you afraid of death by drowning? Have you ever attempted suicide? Have you ever thought of committing murder? These are some of the questions you will be asked in the unprecedented Dementia 13 test. To prepare you for this horrifying experience. What is that? I, do. I can't even read it because it's so small. It's like if you fail the test, then I can't <laughs> I can't read what happens if you fail the test. You will be asked to leave the theater. Oh, you'll be asked what... to leave the theater? Yes. <laughs> was, that, was that a real gimmick they used? Did they really have people pass out like a piece of paper and a pencil? Or... I wouldn't be shocked <laughs> if that's what that was going be on. A, because I know like a cool gimmick to get people like, oh my god. Because like William Castle would do a lot of stuff like that, so... I wouldn't be shocked if that was something that at least they did in like the early showings, like the like first couple days. For some reason, I can see I can see in my head somebody passing out these little bitty small pieces of paper with the little squares and and somebody getting these little small pencils just to mark it. And they probably have a plan in there that they say you failed the test, you got to get out of here, just so they can fool everybody. I'm sure. <laughs> I would not be shocked if that was. Uh... Like a gimmick that they did at one point or another. Oh, wow. Not, I'm sorry. I didn't want to knock you off track. I just noticed that and I was like, what? While you were no, doing that, I was like, okay, that's interesting. I was kind of reading the poster right when we started recording, but I didn't get like all the way down. So I'm glad you pointed that out because that's hilarious. Yeah, that's weird, man. So I guess that's that's another little gimmick to get a few more people. How much, did it say how much this movie made? Uh, I know the budget is 42, but I don't think it says anything about how much it made, right? Um, I can try to see if I can look it up. Distribute it. See if Box Office Mojo will have anything about this movie on there or not. Because with these older movies, I mean, I think it's sometimes it's hard to get that information, right? I think so. Yeah, there's no results yeah. on. So there's really that no telling if they if they made. But I mean, that's such a low budget. 
I would imagine they made a good amount of it back. I know for the most part, like, horror movies, especially when, like, because Corman was so good at making them cheap that, like, I want to say almost everything he put out, especially back in the day, turned a profit. Yeah, because if you're talking $20,000, movies, wow. That's pretty low budget, even back then. And, I mean, it's not like today where you have to double your budget for, like, um, advertising. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, a lot of times, like, you just throw up the title Dementia 13 on the marquee, and you knew people were going to come and watch it just because, like, that's just, it's just what happened. Yeah, it, that's something else that's weird, like, how, over the years, how different the movie experience is as far as, yeah. like, finding out about... I remember when I was, a, like, a, in my prime teenager years, maybe, of movie yeah. watching, and I can remember when trailers would come out. But it wasn't like now where you could see a trailer. Every time you open your phone, you're seeing a trailer. I mean, like, right. they would be, like, on TV or some or at a movie theater. Every once in a while, you would see something on TV. Like, at the Super Bowl, they always had trailers. I, it was always a special reason why you saw it. It wasn't, like, just now. Where I could see a trailer for any movie coming out at any moment. <laughs> Well, it's funny you bring that up because I had a friend in high school that, like, my favorite part of going to the movies back in high school was the trailers, Mm -hmm. which is funny because now I don't really watch trailers. But I had a friend that, you know, shout out to Robert, that he (laughs) was always late, and it annoyed me if I was riding with him because I'm like, dude, the best part of the movie is the trailers, and we're going to miss them because his, like, philosophy was that he could show up to the movies 10 minutes late because the movie would start. His logic was that was right at the cusp when you could go online and watch them on certain websites, and that's what he started to do, and it annoyed me beyond belief because I wanted to get there and watch the trailers so I knew what was coming out next. Yeah, that was I had, I had a friend like that, and he would always be dragging behind him like, "Come on, man, we're gonna be late. Come on, I want to get some. <laughs> I want to go to the concessions too. Come on." And I remember right. that. And I, you know, you know the thing, the most heartbreaking thing in the world is to walk into the theater, the lights are already out, and like a trailer just ended. And everybody's like, oh, and you're like, oh, yes. my God, what was it for? What did I miss? I can remember <laughs> right. that. I can remember at least one, I don't know, more than once, but I can remember a moment, like, walking in, everybody was super hype, and I'm like, oh, my God, see? And I remember being mad, like, hitting my friend on the shoulder, see, man? And, and back then, because I'm talking about the 90s, you couldn't just watch it online, so you were like, right? you have to watch another movie to see it. <laughs> yep. So I'm like, oh, man. But yeah, that's memory lane, so back then, it was a little different in this movie time. So for sure. So I'm sure they have. I'm sure that that thing we were talking about was a gimmick to get people to act, to fill out the little test or whatever. So I'm sure they had gimmicks to get the money back back then. Oh yeah, for sure. He seems pretty crafty, Mr. Carmen. <sighs> so okay, we can jump back into it. I hate, I hate when I sidetrack us, but that's the end. No, that's a funny story though. <laughs> no, and I guess the last thing I'll say then before we jump in the movie is that it's interesting enough is that Coppola's daughter Sophia is the director of, like, Lost in Translation. So, like, he, you know, passes lineage on to somebody who... She's more of an independent filmmaker, but I know she is award-winning. And oddly enough, Nicolas Cage is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. He changed his name because he did not want to get popular because of his uncle. You know, when I found that out, and I'm embarrassed about it, I found that out, like, a month ago. Really? Okay. I never really realized that. And then I, for some reason, some movie I watched for Nicolas Cage, I was on IMDb and he just said that. And I was like, I guess I've never been to his IMDb page because I've never read that before <laughs> until that day. And it blew my I, mind. It, did, it it started to make sense, actually. 
Because I feel like he kind of looks like him. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, he has that look about him. I don't remember when I learned about it, but I think it might have been... It's actually kind of weird is, I think I learned about it right around the end of, like, high school or, like, early when I was into college. Because I had watched, like, The Godfather with the um, the commentary on, and Coppola was one of the people doing it, which it was hilarious to actually watch because... Listening to somebody as, like, prestigious as Francis Ford Coppola, and he was sitting there literally calling Robert Duvall Bobby Duvall, <laughs> and any time I see him now, oh that's what I call him, just because I think it's hilarious that he's talking about this, like, you know, prestigious actor, and just calling him by, like, a nickname almost, uh, no, and it just made me laugh so hard, because, <laughs> like, I was watching something with my wife, and I was just like... You know, she's like, oh, Robert Duvall's in this. I was like, oh, you mean Bobby Duvall? And she would just look at me like I had two heads she and was so confused about why I thought it was hilarious. Oh, my God. It's hilarious, bro. See, I never I never heard all the commentaries, but I do like when you when you hear, like, how loose, kind of how loose they are with people's yeah. on set. When you think, because like you're saying, these prestigious actors, but a lot of them are more loose than you would expect on set. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's a funny, a funny little ad in there that he would call him that. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder who, who, what all nicknames they have, but we'll, t- we'll talk about that later. Me but, too. But I do Me think too. that would be funny to find out. I bet there's a listing somewhere of like famous nicknames of actors or something. Oh, I'm probably, I wouldn't be shocked. All right, then we can, um, to jump into this movie, we start off on a dock by, I'm assuming kind of like a lake here. Where we have John, who is listening to the radio, and a lady comes out to join him, and this turns out to be his wife, Louise, and we kind of get the idea here, they go out on the boat, and his wife is very worried about him because she says he has a heart condition, and then while they're out on the lake, we kind of get to learn a little bit more about these characters here, that John seems to be a little bit more laid back, where his wife is very... She's very greedy and is upset that his mother, who has a will, and it seems like she is in control of all of the family finances, and it sounds like she's given all of her money away because something happened to Kathleen, which we will learn, you know, here a little bit later afterwards, that's like what happened to her, but we see that this, this couple's not getting along, and the husband goes into a heart attack while they're, you know, rowing out in the middle of this lake. And I thought this kind of made for a very interesting way to start this movie off. Yeah, I mean, they jump right into it. I mean, yeah. I think it's, they it kind of set the stage pretty quickly that this is not a great marriage. Agreed. Feels like this is a marriage in trouble before they even got married, it feels like. Well, it kind of seems like she married him. Just for the I money, mean, right? I guess the. That she was like a gold digger yeah. and really just wanted to make sure that by marrying him, she was going to be set up for life. But it sounds like the mother has been giving away a lot of the money. I'm assuming for like seances or for different things to try to communicate with Kathleen. But the way that she's smoking this cigarette, red flag, red flag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While she's talking about all this and she's just got that cigarette just dangling. I'm like, bro, you should know that she's up to no good. Now, I'm thinking that as soon as I see her, I'm like, She's going to do something in this movie because she's, she's up to no good. But before she yeah, can even do I thought she was going to kill him, actually, is what I thought was about to happen. But then he actually has a heart attack. But for some reason, I thought she was going to just push him over or something. Because she, I mean, she just seemed sinister for some reason. 
She does, and I mean, I'm with you. She does have like that cigarette hanging out, like a like a bookie would have when he's trying to count up all the money after like a big game. <laughs> so I'm with you. I mean, it's a nefarious look. Yeah, and she had did she have the shades on, or am I tripping? Did she have the shades on tonight? Uh, no, that was later. Uh, yeah, uh, I, should, I, I think was it's like, later. Wait, yeah, did she have shades on tonight. No, that was that was when she came later. But okay. she definitely does that look. Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy that he would just die like all of a sudden like that. Did he want to die? Because he didn't even bring any pills? Because she's like, get my pills, and there's no pills in the bottle? I think it's more of that he's kind of... Because he seems to be, like, if you... Like, when they're having a conversation, he's... Right before he dies, he's kind of dangling that over her head. Like, well, if we don't get married, then you're going to be nothing, and you're going to have nothing, kind of. And if I die before (laughs) he says it, if I die before we get married, and then, oh, oh, my heart... (laughs) (laughs) See, I take it more that he's very kind of lax in a lot of things because he's very. So I think he thought there were pills in there, and then when like she checked, obviously there's nothing in there. That I just think it's more of kind of a lapse in judgment on his part. See, I thought let well from what we find out later on in the movie, I almost felt like he wanted to kill himself almost because it seems weird that you would. Because it feels like it was his decision to go rowing, and then he didn't bring the pills on purpose. I thought. But he may have just forgot. I mean, it, it to be honest, weird. with how like overbearing his mother is, I wouldn't be shocked if once he starts having his heart attack, he's kind of like, all right, it's my time to go. Let's get out of here. That was my reading after I watched it the second time, though. I, I will say that. The first okay. time, I didn't read it like that either. But the second time, I kind of read it after knowing what we find out about the home life and stuff. Then I kind of read it like, you know what? I don't want any part of this no more. I'm out. <laughs> That's what I read it as. I see. I wouldn't be shocked at all. But okay. So, and was this Elvis this playing, or what is this playing on the radio? Uh, it's like an Elvis kind of music, but I don't know if it's Elvis or not. It, it definitely was, and I mean, it's actually kind of weird. Is this would have been right around the time that he would have been popular? So I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, because it's if it's not him, it's somebody that sounds similar to him. It's that same style right. of music, kind of old school, rocky. I don't know what you call that. Boogie Woogie I think rock. that technically is like rock and roll. Original where... original rock and roll, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Before we got really into it. But uh right. yeah, okay. Yeah, but then we get the psycho moment here where she's kind of narrating herself how she's gonna make this plan that he went out of town and all that. And she's typing oh, up a letter yeah. that he wrote to well, the Not only that, but she also ties an anchor to his leg and throws him in the lake and then like you said goes about setting up this plan where he went to business in new york and you know practice forging his signature and everything like this lady just i feel like she's has... been planning this she just thought he was gonna die later maybe like maybe he would die like later after they got married early because he has heart condition because she seems right, to, right. It, it seems to be no big thing that he just died it doesn't really no, seem to phase her like in like she actually, I feel like at one point she's like relieved that he died or something. But she's I mean, mad about I the almost, money, but she's relieved that she didn't have to deal with him or something. I agree with you there. I The only thing I think that she has an issue with here is that she now has to find a way to get back into the will. Mm-hmm. Because like right now, like, cause I mean, that's why he kind of goads her on with is that like, it's like if I die before this happens, then you're... You know you're going to be written out of the will because mother doesn't love, or doesn't like you at all. So I, I, I agree with you that it does seem like she's like, all right, you know, 
part one of the plan is taken care of, but now she has a difficult thing in trying to make the mother love her or to find a way to get written into the will. But I do like how she's making this plan. She's like, so he would have taken three suits and right. he would have done this and this. And then his favorite tie. Yeah, she's like shoes. calculating all this stuff. To, okay. So she's got back then. I mean, we don't have forensics or nothing. So you can get away with it easily. A lot easier than now, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I feel like sure. I feel like she she's not going to get prosecuted for this because they're not going to know because people went out for cigarettes all the time back then. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, you also bring up a good point, though, for being the era is that like she has like two to three months where she could literally slow play this. Mm hmm. Until she's, you know, potentially written into the will. So, like, I'm with you. Is that she does have a lot of time because of just how the era is. Yeah, this is, this is really. I mean, to think to do this. Do we know how much money it is? I'm, I'm assuming we're I, talking. What would be the equivalent of millions now? But I don't know. Yeah. If we ever know exactly how much money they have. It never. I don't think explicitly states like how much like they're worth. I think but they have they a castle, kind of do, so they have a lot of money. That's literally what I was just going to say is that, like, I mean, you could also be, these nobility types from some of the older movies that I've watched, they do kind of play up the fact that a lot of times you could have a castle and, like, an estate and still be broke because of, like, different types of things. The way this movie is carrying on, though, I don't think that's the case with this family, but I'm with you is that it's probably, like, the equivalent of having, like, millions. Yeah. But I just thought it was weird because she would go through all this trouble. So it's got to be a good amount of money for her to, to go through all this trouble of like inviting herself to the castle and trying to do what she's going to try to do. Agreed. So how much did a flight to Ireland cost back then? That she can, I'm, I'm sure they had money back. They had money, her and her husband, or yeah. about to be husband. They probably had enough money. For, but they were going anyways, weren't they? Yeah. So they probably already I mean, had the um, tickets. Well, because he had to go there for sure because of the vigil that all of the brothers kind of converge on this castle to do with the mother. And they did make it sound like the husband or the, that John was a successful businessman. So it does sound like he had made his own money. That's just like, they're not set up for life yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah. So yeah, cause she makes this plan out and she's ready to get this money. Um, and from the beginning, I, I knew she was going to be some trouble. So, yeah, oh, for sure. But you know something that was funny to me, and it was it probably was only funny to me. But okay, everybody listening at home, if you're a fan of The Shining, please tell me you didn't. When they say Lady Halloran and the Halloran Castle, you're not thinking uh, Dick Halloran. I kept thinking that. Huh? I'm like Dick Halloran. Is that an Irish last name? I didn't even know that. But then I was. I think, I think it they might spelled it different be. in The Shining. I think it had like two L's or something. Yes, because I know when I was. Like, writing the name down this time, like, for this movie, I had to do a double take because, like, when I'm typing it, I would type in, like, how Dick Halloran spells it. Mm -hmm. So it threw me off that I had to, like, triple check to make sure that I was spelling it correctly. <laughs> I just kept seeing his face in my head every time I heard Halloran for some reason. <laughs> I, was, I don't know why. But if, you, if you've seen that movie, The Shining, then now it's going to be stuck in your head, too, listeners. <laughs> that's true. I'm going to think of Scatman Crothers every time. I do. <laughs> Join me, because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. let's go back in. So, we get to the castle now? Um, Yeah, from what I have here is that we go to the castle, as you were saying. we This is where we learn that Kathleen was John's sister, and she had passed away. The castle is supposedly haunted, 
and the mother actually believes that Kathleen is haunting the castle. And we also kind of learn here that Kathleen had drowned in the pond when she was a little girl, and that she also had two other brothers of Billy and Richie, who are both at the castle now, and that is kind of the group, and it sounds like Richie's fiance is going to be joining them shortly as well, but she is not there when we, you know, actually get to the castle. Yeah, and then she's she's landed Louise is it Louise or Louisa? What did they say, Louise? Um, I think it's Louise. Okay. She's laying it on pretty thick when she yes. gets there. Because she's like, oh, he's... And I feel like they don't believe her because they're like, he wouldn't miss this for anything. So I don't Agreed. I don't believe like they believe her. I don't know if they think she killed him, but I feel like they're not I buying, just don't, her story, buying her story. Really. Yeah, I don't think they like her very much. Billy is very kind of... He kind of fades into the back a lot, and he's very timid, where Richie is very outspoken and does not like Louise at all, and falls in line with Lady Halloran for not liking her as well. Yeah, but her thing is, I'm going to stay as long as you need me to, just so we can get along with each other and, and learn about each other, and I can <laughs> right. learn about the history of your family, and I'm like, and the mom is like, oh, God. <laughs> you can tell, like, she's like, oh, don't. God, could you just spend the night and go home after that? Cause you could tell, and we don't, we never told too much about the history, but you could tell it's not a great history between them. So I guess she was never approved, never approved of her for her son. Well, John. it seems like the that Lady Halloran does not approve of any woman when it comes to her sons, and it sounds like the only woman, like well, she never actually got there, but the only girl that she liked was her daughter, and I just feel like she's. It also could be that her daughter passed away, where she has become very much more overbearing where nobody will ever kind of live up to her expectations for her sons. Yeah. And also, um, and we, we'll probably get to it here in a minute. So I don't know if I want to say it now or not, but we find out why, what the big deal about the wedding is too. I don't know if you heard that little drop line either. Um, no, if you want to go ahead and like throw it in there, that's fine. Cause oh, okay. it'll kind of parlay into what we do next. Okay. So when the daughter died, it was at a wedding that they were having at the castle. So because oh. they had that wedding and she died, she feels it's part of the thing that if they ever have a wedding, that it would be like somebody would die or something. Like she's, and that's so she's. That's why that. she doesn't want any weddings to happen, because she okay. thinks that something bad is going to happen if a wedding happens again. Okay, I missed that. So I definitely glad you brought that up because I had no idea. Yeah, it was a drop line from our uh, groundskeeper guy. Okay. He kind of he kind of tells us the story because Luis is, yeah. is going around trying to get. She's really trying to dig for information. I think. But there's yes. one point where she meets him and he tells her that little side note about what happened with Kathleen and the whole deal. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I was on I'm that I'm glad part. you said that because I had no idea that was part of, I like, caught it the second the time, psychosis. but the first time I didn't catch it. The second time okay. I caught what he was saying because I thought he was saying, he's the only one with an accent. Well, him and <laughs> two other people. So Yeah. But I caught it that to the second time. Okay. So, let's keep going. Where are we at now? Um, From here? Billy goes to pick up Richie's uh, fiance from the airport, and her name, I thought it was Kay, but looking at the cast list, is actually Kane, and this actually upsets Richie that something actually did here. Oh, I know what it is. The mother is very rude when they're actually eating once that Kane joins them, and it appears that, as, I was, as we were saying, is that she's not a fan of her and doesn't think that she's good enough to marry her son. Something else that I thought was weird uh, at this moment also is that why is 
the brother like always picking people up. The younger brother, I think his name Billy, right? He yes. goes to pick her up. I feel like he's the one that's like everybody kind of tells him what to do. See, I take it as that he's more timid, and I don't think he's very good at saying no. So that's what I kind of took it as. I was like, why would you pick up your fiance? Why would you send your brother? That seems weird. It was very rude. I agree. But then he tries to play it off because he's a sculptor that he had some work that he had to do. But it does seem like just kind of a rude thing. Yeah. Maybe being at home, his mom takes priority, I guess, in that family. I guess so. He's like, well, I could go get her, but my mom wants me to be right here by her side just in case. So. <laughs> I don't know what was happening with that. Okay. Let's get back to the cane at the table. Okay. Yeah. She doesn't like yeah. cane at all. Well, and then. Right. And then from what I have next is that we shift over to the next morning where Richie and Kay are out in like a field while Kane is riding horses and Luis shows up and this is where we kind of get the idea even more that Richie is not fond of her either and I'm with you is that Luis is really trying to kind of fish for information because actually it sounds like what I have in my notes as well is after that interaction with them is when she talks to the caretaker and then she also hangs out with Billy soon after as well. Yeah, this is another moment where, and I think we talked about it in the pregame, her, Kane and uh, Luis look too similar for me. They and do look very similar, where, especially in black and white. Yes, because I thought, for some reason, I thought Luis was on the horse until she walks up. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, that's her. Cause, so I was like, so there's times where until they start interacting with people, like when she's kissing her husband, I'm like, oh, okay. That's not her. Yeah. But before that, I don't I don't know who she is. So it, it was throwing me off like a couple times how, how similar they looked on. Like you said, black and white for sure. Right. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Something I just thought about is um, Kane is played by Mary Mitchell. And it sounds like she didn't really have the biggest acting career. But she actually went on to work with Coppola and a lot of his other stuff. And it sounds like she actually became a script supervisor because I saw that she was that on Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I believe she did the same role as some other things. So it's kind of cool for her is that she might not have had the career in front of the camera, but definitely had one behind it. Oh, wow. Okay. So she was able to make something out of it. Yeah. Hey, that's worth it. There was something else in the scene and I was trying to find it because I saw it somewhere. That they said a line from this movie was used in um, a famous song. Oh that? yeah, um, Tom Girl? Petty's "American Girl." Yeah, this yeah. thing that she says. What'd she say? Um, she's talking um, about something uh, along... Kane. Louise is talking about Kane, but she said, especially because she's an American girl, you can tell she's been raised on promises. Yes. Yep. That's actually a good line. I like that Agreed. Line a lot. Because I think like. If, Coming from like thinking of another country, like what is what is America about really? I feel like that's I what America is about to other countries. Is just about like some promise that everything's gonna be great or something. I don't know. No, that's actually a really good point. Is that the American dream is what a lot of people come to America for? And so I definitely get what you're saying there, though. Is that like? we are kind of raised to think that we can do whatever we want. So I like this idea of Lady Halloran kind of using that against Kane. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. But, again, nobody's got an Irish accent, so it, uh, it's kind of a weird <laughs> right. thing to say. Even though it's it, it makes sense, but it's just kind of... I don't know. I just wish somebody would have had accents. More, more people had I wish the mom at least had an accent. Yeah. Can I, also, before we move forward, 
What yeah. what is the mom's deal? She seems really majestic. Almost like she's a queen or something. What is her deal? Um why well, is she so they refined? Call they call her Lady Halloran, so that makes me assume that they are royalty, which would probably mean that they don't ever give her an official title. So, like, I don't think she's, like, a duchess or, like, a marquee. Well, see, I but thought I they were saying lady like she was just the lady of the house or something. See, I know in, like, royalty countries, which I don't, I don't think Ireland, because I know they were part of the United Kingdom at some point. I'm taking it as that she wasn't, like, a duchess, but she's the, like, whatever the rung below that would be. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of nobility over like whatever was, their like, lands reach. to somebody... Well, it's probably, I'm assuming her husband was the Lord, and so that would make her the lady when they got married. Hmm. And see, I don't have any idea what that means. Because for some reason, when I think the Lord or something, I just think like he's the owner of the property or something. Yeah, see, over in those countries, I don't know enough when you get down to like the bottom. So I know like a duchess and then Marquis is above that. So I'm assuming that she is in charge of this land now that her husband is dead. I've seen some older movies like that, but I I really have never had a concept of really what that structure was. Yeah, she's not as high as some people would be, but I think that's what they're kind of alluding to here. But she's just got a really like refined way she she has like a it's it's also like like she looks down on people, so she's got like a really I don't know, it's weird like her personality is really like she was somebody big, so I just always wonder. I wondered that when I was watching it too. Like, oh yeah, I mean, she, she definitely embodies life? that she is like nobility with how she treats people. Yeah, because even when she looks, the way she looks down on people is with class, but she's still like talking down on. Them. It's weird. Oh yeah, I feel she like has only a very somebody good level of snark. Could do that. Yeah, it could be that snarky <laughs> right. and that polite at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. But okay, okay, we can jump back in, man. Okay, and then the last little bit that I had for this little thing here is that this is the first time that we have Billy having a like flashback to something, and we see that the day that she passed away, the two of them were fighting, but it cuts off before we kind of see more of it, but we will definitely come back to that. And we actually then shift over to the whole reason that all of the siblings kind of converge here is that every year... They have this same memorial service for Kathleen, and we have Louise spying on it from the roof of the castle, and we actually get the first time here that the mother might have dementia or have some sort of mental illness because she claims that when one of the flowers hit the grave that it died instantly, and this causes her to faint. Yeah, and Louise is watching this ceremony like from the, is it like the roof or something, or like... Yeah, it's um... I'm assuming that you can get up, like, there's roof access some point, and she's kind of looking over, like, the ramparts to see what they're doing. Yeah, so she's kind of watching this happen. Now, somebody tells her this is going to happen. Is this before or after this moment? Um, or is that when the, her is husband, that the or John, that? I think, alludes to that they have, like, this memorial service, and then I know oh, that... Oh, with Billy? I think Rich, Richie or Billy definitely tells her that she's not invited to it, no, but no, that they I mean, do this ceremony. I mean, that somebody, it's either Billy, I think it's Billy. Somebody tells her that the mom does this every year and she always faints. Yes, yep, it's Billy? Billy. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so yep. I know somebody told her, so she's already kind of expecting this to happen. So she's yes. kind of watching to see if it's going to happen. As she as she's making the, plan, the next step of her plan, keep that in mind. Yep. Cause she, yes. Because she's still not in the wheel at this moment. 
Nope, and that actually kind of parlays into what happens next is that Louise sees her chance to, what I took as, to drive the mother mad, and she claims that she's hearing music and children's voices in the hallway and asks the mother to listen, and then from here is where she goes to Kathleen's room, and I actually thought there's some excellent filmmaking here as she's going through the different like dolls and toys and everything where we have this one that's playing like the drum or it's like an axe hitting wood. Mm -hmm. And I love the musical stingers they're doing with that. I thought that was very well done. Yeah. That's a cool little thing. There was, there was moments where I did like the what they did with the music here. Yes. As far as that. So yeah, I, I did like that moment as well. And I did like when she goes under the water too. In this next moment we're about to get to. Yes, because she does take a bunch of dolls and everything, and she has this brilliant plan where she strips down to her underwear, and then... But what is she pouring? Because she pours some liquid on the rope that she ties around them. What is that? Is that what makes um, her float it, back up? It must be. It must be something that in the water will make it eat away at the rope. And then... So then what she ends up doing here... Actually, I was looking at my notes here, is that... Somebody seems to see her leave that room, and then she actually encounters Richie. Oh, yeah. And this is where we kind of get the idea that he really doesn't trust her. But as we were saying, she strips down to her underwear. Bloomers. Dives into the pond. Yeah, that was very weird. We actually get a cool underwater scene here. (laughs) I thought that was cool. I think we got a lot of cool underwater shots, actually, in this movie. Yes. Oh, I actually have in my notes here, did she soak it in booze? I'm not sure what it was, so I don't think it was necessarily that because I don't think that would make it eat through the thing. But she does tie a bunch of the dolls to different like pieces of rope to a wrench to keep them in the pond. And this is actually really the first creepy scene we get, but she sees a body under the water, and it seems to be very well preserved. And when she goes to get out of the water, she's greeted with somebody who has an axe, and she is attacked until she is killed here. Yeah, this is actually not that bad of a scene. They try to yeah. show it without showing it, like like you usually try to. Right. But I do think they get some good cut moments where they cut to the axe bleeding, they cut to her, like, taking yep. the punishment, and then we see, like, the blood, you know, her legs. And I think they do a, a decent job with this shot. Oh, I thought so, too. And it's actually kind of funny that you had, you know, referenced that they wanted to do a little bit more violent Psycho. Yeah. Because, like, obviously Psycho is known for where you don't actually ever see the stab wounds and you just kind of see the blood going down the drain. This one, you don't technically see her being, but you do see her becoming, you know, violently attacked at least, where there's blood on her and you see the axe pretty much hitting her and everything. So I thought that was kind of the more violent thing they're going for. I wonder if that was, he's like... She was in the shower. I want more water. Okay, we'll put her in the lake. He had a knife. I want more, a bigger weapon. We're going to give him an axe. Okay, I like this. I mean, Roger Corman's just, I like this. I like where we're going with this. Because he probably The only thing that would make this better if I know that it's like cocaine fueled, but it might be a little bit earlier for like that. So uh, like, I don't think whatever. so. I think everything had cocaine in it back then, didn't it? Well, not 60s, uh, but pre-60s. I feel if like it's you not cocaine, tonic, I definitely see them dropping like acid and stuff for sure. Oh, God. Everything. I'm sure Roger Corman is really just like, oh. I feel like he was hyped because just that moment I just said, I could I could feel like if he wanted a bigger version of that, he's like, how can we make it bigger? Get an axe. How can we make it bloodier? Show her writhing in pain. I can I can I can I mean, see that conversation for some reason. I like it. Yeah, but it, I think it was it was a, it was a bloodier cycle. I'll say I'll give you that. For sure. For sure. Uh, now let's go to the next part here because we still don't we don't know who the killer is. 
We just know right. there's a killer amongst us now. Agreed. And actually, when you had asked me earlier if I recognize anybody from this movie, I had forgot. I actually know who the doctor is in this movie as Patrick McGee was in different things where he worked with Corman on some of the Poe adaptations. And Patrick McGee also worked with, like, Lucio Fulci. Oh, wow. And the first movie I remember him from is he is in A Clockwork Orange. Who was he in that? He is the author who his wife gets raped and then I she dies. Oh, wow. And he's the guy who is wheelchair bound. Okay. No, I didn't. Re- I didn't. Even, if I go back, I probably would see him. Oh, yeah. But no, I didn't yep. remember him from that at all. Interesting. So, yep. He is our doctor here who is helping to treat the um, Lady Halloran. And he is very concerned with her mania and not wanting people to upset her. And it, I actually have in my notes, for some reason, he made a great bird-in-the-hand analogy. Oh, yeah. And I don't necessarily remember what the actual terms he used, but I did think that was you know important enough and made me chuckle. Yeah, I do remember him saying something funny, but I don't remember the exact words either. But no, it was a good line. And, yeah, and it actually looks like here that he knows Luis is missing. He's not necessarily sure what happened to her, but they're actually having lunch outside, and this is actually the scenes here where the dolls in the pond start floating up, and this makes the mother think that it was Kathleen. Now, the doctor wants this covered up to not upset the mother, and it sounds like, as you were saying earlier, Billy is the one getting the low end of the stick here as he has to be the one to jump in to fish them out. And this is also where he remembers more of what happened to his sister as well. Yeah, and throughout the film, we're getting these little flashes back where you see a little bit of more, more and more of what happened. Yep. So that's interesting. But I do think it's kind of crazy that, uh, I think, is it Richard that jumps up first? What's the uh, Yes, movie? he's the one who seems very agitated by what's happening because he thinks, I wouldn't be shocked if he thinks that Luis is behind it just because he doesn't like her or trust her, which, I mean, he's not wrong. But, yeah, he definitely jumps up and, you know, calls the arms almost. Oh, you know what? I had something written on my notes. I forgot. We were just in an interaction between uh, the doctor and the mom, Lady Halloran. Yep. And um, she's trying to, she's desperately trying to find Luis after she told her about hearing the daughter. That's right. And the guy right. is, the doctor is trying to get her ready. He's, like, telling the maid, go get her some clothes We're gonna, so she can have lunch and all that. And she's like, yep. no, I want you to go find Luis. And they keep You're kind right. of going back and forth about that. And eventually she's like whispering in her ear like, go find Luis first. She's kind of letting her know. <laughs> yeah. But of course, they still haven't found her at this point. Right. So we're back. We're back to him fishing out the dolls. Okay. Yes. And I actually have here as well that this family definitely has a lot of tension amongst them, which, I mean, we've kind of already kind of laid that out. But in my notes, I definitely made a point to remember that. Even Even when the mom's walking up with the doctor... The wife is sitting like in the lap of her husband, of, uh, is it Richard? Yeah, she's sitting in Richard's yes. lap. And the mom yep. looks kind of mad about that. She doesn't really like that Agreed. when she's walking up. Because they kind of show them in the back and they kind of walk in the frame. And they're like, she's kind of had a, has a weird look on her face. Agreed. So, yeah, okay. All right, so next part where we at now. Um, I have here that the next one is where we have the hunter is oh, this guy. <laughs> still trying on to find this, you know, fox. And he actually finds a fox hole and climbs into it. And inside we see that this, um, this body, which turns out to be a lifelike doll. And this freaks him out. As he's trying to leave, though, he catches a glimpse of our killer, which I don't know about you, but this is the point where it spoiled it for me as I found out who the killer was here. And it's Billy as he decapitates the hunter. 
Now, see, I knew it was him before that. I, okay. I just assumed it was him because they kept showing him. Yeah, I so thought I it, was it was him, him, but this was the moment where I was like, kind of like when we were watching um, the Toolbox Murders, oh, where I was yeah. like, wait, that's the killer. And this is the moment where I was like, okay, so I'm 100% right. It is Billy. I just, I never knew for sure, but I just assumed because they kept showing those flashbacks. So I just right. assumed like, well, they're, they're doing this for a reason. So I just assumed that's him. And then we, yep. we find out pretty soon. <laughs> Agreed. But yeah, this is kind of brutal too. Because yeah. actually they already had, what, two interactions with this guy? Uh, or at least yes. one interaction before this. I, I, it's at least one for sure, where he kind of like yells at him about, you know, hunting on their grounds and everything. But they, and but they allude to like, poacher. this is something that he does regularly, that guy. like he, Yes. So I feel like they've had several interactions, but but it, the one we saw, like he was ready to get him in, actually. Yeah, it's ready. actually kind of weird is, I think we kind of, I don't think we talked about it, but like, yeah, Billy's very mean to this hunter. And then it sounds like after he's yelled at him that they're friendly with him and that he's actually not that bad of a guy so it's kind of weird that he was that mean to him in the original interaction yeah but later we'll find out kind of why and, and i don't know if you, if you caught what they said but we'll kind of find out why okay um it sounds like the next thing i have here is that we shift back to the grounds and the doctor tells the groundskeeper to drain the pond now the groundskeeper doesn't want to do it unless he has the lady's approval but the doctor, I believe, I thought he slipped him some money. But if not, he definitely scolds him and tells oh, no, him to do what he's told. He definitely slipped him some money. I don't know how much. Okay, that's what I thought. Because he actually I advised him. Write he, it was down. Like, he was like, um, if I were you, I would save that and then use it to come see me later because you're like you're getting sick or something. Okay. <laughs> like you look a little thin or something. You might want to save that to come and see yeah, me. Yeah, you're right. He he kind of threatens him. Yeah, so I'm like, what? So you give him money, but he's just gonna give it right back to you? I don't understand. <laughs> All right, but yeah, but yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind that would be going to the doctor anyways. Agreed. But he does yeah. drain this pond, and I, is that something that ponds come with? I didn't even know that. Uh, uh, I didn't drainage? either, but that just this clearly school? must have been like a man-made pond. Yeah. So they actually have like these, like I guess little floodgates where you could drain and everything, but I'm with you. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, because when he starts going and, and doing these stuff, I'm like, is that really how it is? I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't understand that that was, I thought... But like you said, if it's man-made, then I'm sure they engineered it to do that so it wouldn't flood or something. That must be another thing that they're rich because they could afford to have a pond with floodgates. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> and I don't even know. I know we kind of talked about We're going to talk about it here in a second. So we'll, we'll talk about the father here in a minute. But um, okay. yeah, he drains this pond. And then what do they find? They find a gravestone. Well, it's actually interesting. They do that, but it takes a while for this to um, drain out. It's kind of and, like an overnight yes, but, thing almost, right? Right, because um, what I actually have next is while the pond is draining, the mother goes to take the tiara that belonged to Kathleen to her playhouse. And oh, yeah, okay. Well, as how she's did you doing get this, there? Do you know? Um, it at must the, have been, at I, the, um, When we're at the, uh, the thing where the dolls come up, the mom yes. says, oh, she wants her tiara. But how did she get to that point? Because the mom says that. As a lion, but I don't know how she. I don't. How she I don't have to anything that written. She needs the tower because she put the dolls in the water. Right. I think it must have been that she saw those dolls, so she got this in her head that she has to bring this out there that her daughter wanted it. But I don't have it written down necessarily. And I mean, this playhouse that she has it looks like it's a little bit of a walk across the like grounds to get out there too. Yeah, it's kind of ducked off, kind of. 
but it's so because when, when she goes in there it's kind of like like a weird uh what you call it like when somebody has like a, a thing they're setting up to it like when they put candles and stuff like an altar or something? I don't know. Almost kind of, yeah. Like, like they've set up this weird thing to her. Like a shrine almost? I don't know. Yes. It's yeah. kind of weird. And the mom's thinking she's alive, right? Or it's like a ghostly well, version of her or something? Yeah. It's actually kind of funny, too, is that we have that jump scare when she opens the door because a stroller falls out. Oh, yeah. And, and it like, almost, like, knocks her over. But as you were saying, though, there is kind of, like, a shrine in there. And I'm assuming Billy is doing this because that doll is there. And I almost feel like sometimes this doll is played by a little girl because there was a time I could have swore that the doll was breathing. And I think they almost had a little girl laying there at times to make it look even more lifelike. Yeah, I think so too because, yeah, in this scene it looked like a little girl almost. Yes. And there's another scene where I thought that I saw breathing too, man. So I'm with you. Yeah. And this is actually kind of a creepy thing that I wasn't expecting is that the killer starts to attack this playhouse with its axe while the mother is inside and literally destroys the building Lit- with her in it. That was crazy because I, I didn't expect that either because he's literally like, don't leave her alone or don't touch her or something. And he right. starts just destroying all the wood in this place. Like it's all like falling on top of her and stuff and he's knocking stuff down. I'm like, oh God. But somehow she no, slips out alive. I'm with you. It was like, I thought that was pretty, not necessarily I thought she was brutal, dead. I thought she was but about to die. very, like, psychologically damaging what's going on there. To have that happen in her mental state's already shaky at best. And then, right. you know, for that to happen, like, I, I thought she was dead. Like, I thought he was going to kill her. So did I. I. I was like, oh, this is where the, I was like, I didn't expect them to kill the mother, which, I mean, too bad she's already dead, but that would have helped Louise. Yeah, really. But she sneaks out of there some kind of way. I don't remember how she got out of that room. I think he just stopped. I think he stopped attacking it, and then, like, as there's a kind of, like, a calm, she ends up just kind of, like, crawling out. Because she, like, gets to the front of the estate, kind of, and then kind of passes out, right? Yeah, because it's either the maid or the caretaker find her, I think, and help her inside. Yeah, because no, they, they call to all the, uh, to her boys to come. And you're right, you're right, yeah, because kind of Billy up. and Richard join her there. Yeah, they kind of lift her up and take her back inside. You're point. right, yep. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, and is this, um... Is this when the doctor comes back the next day? Um, what I have here was actually kind of an interesting scene is Kane is talking to Billy in like one of the front rooms. And this is where he reveals all of the history about how he doesn't want to go to his room because of all the history where like his great uncle died having a heart attack or like somebody else died on like in the hallway and he, that he has nightmares and is, you know, definitely depressed due to where his room is located and he also tells of this nightmare where his mother comes into his room and he's looking up at her and a man climbs up the wall outside and this is where he actually learns talking to Kane that it's his brother that comes in and his brother asks something about who's insane and his mother is like nodding her head and I thought that was kind of just kind of a creepy thing to tell her yeah that is kind of a creepy story uh, and she's kind of looking like, oh, God. <laughs> right, she's kind of like, what is going on here? But also, something I want to talk about with, with all the stuff he was talking about. Yeah. They kind of allude to that the dad had some kind of issues like that. Like when I he think had so. I think you're right, is that he kind of descended into madness. Yeah, because they kind of allude to, like, I feel like maybe it was Richard that said it, that 
He felt like whatever it was dad was dealing with was passed down to him or something. I wouldn't be shocked. I know like a lot somewhere. of that stuff is definitely hereditary. Yeah, so he felt like the dad, whatever happened to him, like was happening to him now. So yes. he kind of felt that's why he was having the dreams. And then Billy's having bad dreams. So it's like, oh, it, everybody's traumatized by everything that's happened. But I want to talk definitely. about the dad because we never really know a lot about him. And I feel like maybe he played a bigger role than we really realized in some of the stuff happening, maybe. It could be, and I mean, I would have liked to know more, especially because this movie does have such a short run time. It feels like there's more to it than the event that happens with the daughter. It feels like there was something else already kind of weird about this this uh, castle or something. I mean, I know one of the things is that there's just so much history in it, and it sounds like a lot of people have passed away. Like, it almost feels like this movie is flirting with being like a modern gothic, Yeah. but like we don't get the ghosts or anything like that. Yeah, it was almost like there should be ghosts or something. The way it kind of plays at times. It would have fit. Yeah, it could have fit in this movie for sure. Because we're talking about superstition and we're talking about all that kind of stuff in this movie. Right. So, definitely. But yeah, okay. Let's get big and jump back on. Yep, and then the next thing that I have here is that the groundskeeper has uh, drained the pond and then they calls for the doctor because, as you were saying, at the bottom of the pond, they find a stone that says, forgive me, Kathleen. Now, the doctor, I think he's doing some things to get people riled up because he blames Richard, stating that he, you know, worked with stone and, you know, as a sculptor and everything like that. And then Richard, to defend himself, says that all of the children were trained to work with stone, including their mother, I believe he even says. So he's saying that he did not create this like monument or this headstone or whatever that was found. But I do like that, you know, this kind of starts bringing into question who could have made this and put it down there. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because, I mean, at this point, I kind of feel like I knew who did it. But I'm still Agreed. wondering, like, is there anything else weird that's happening? Like, is anybody else involved? Right. So is this where they go down to that, that cool marble Yes. That, like, marble yep. statue room or whatever? Yeah, because I have have down here that this castle has, like, catacombs of sorts. And Richard is exploring, and he actually goes down to his father's workshop where he this would work with stone workshop. and everything. Yeah, this uh, this is a giant room to be underneath the ground. Yes. And it's it's got all these really cool statues in there. And I guess yep. he's looking for if anything had been used recently or something? Like, what was he trying to find? I, that's what I was taking it as, is trying to see if somebody had been down there working. Yeah, because this would have been, what they say, six or seven years prior? Uh, yeah, something like that. So they were trying to find out. He was trying to find the tools, I guess. Because then the, the wife, Kane, is following him as yes. he's going, and she's curious to see, like... Because I feel like the doctor is almost, like you're saying, like, he's kind of trying to see if somebody will tell him himself, because he's... Kind of making her think her husband could be the killer. Because well, I feel like she's following is, him because she thinks, is he the killer? I don't know. Well, it, I'm with you here. and But the only weird thing is, and we'll actually get to it in the next scene, is that I think the doctor knows who's doing it. But I think he is trying to be low-key about what he's doing by targeting Richard. And I don't know if he's trying to do this to like lure the other person into the false sense of security or not. But it's weird, though, because of where it goes next. Yeah, it's I, I never really understand if he's 100% aware at that moment or if he just, once it's a reveal, that he says, okay, yeah, that's what I I, I thought it was. I, I never knew for sure. Right. Okay. So let's, let's keep um, going. 
Yeah, and then actually the last thing I had here is that we get to see as the audience that this doll is down there and it's kind of hidden behind some stuff where Richard and Kay don't get to see it. But I thought that was kind of a cool thing because I was wondering if they were going to be attacked there. But that isn't the case because the doctor takes Billy to a local pub and actually kind of like low-key interrogates him there. Now, he asks some questions because he's actually looking for Luis. So he asks the bartender, and she says she hasn't seen anybody like that. But there is a kind of drunk Irishman who yells out that he has seen somebody matching that. But this is where, like, the doctor kind of pushes that Billy had told him in the past about what happened to Kathleen and this almost sends Billy into a psychosis when accused, where he starts doing like this weird like nursery rhyme. Yeah, that's, that was kind of a weird moment. But yeah, he re- literally is like, "You told me when you were a kid about this and this and the dreams and all that." Right. So he's kind of like trying to refresh his memory, maybe, or trying to push his memory to go back to that thought or something. I don't know. But that's he's what really I was trying. Taking it as yeah, he's really trying to to get him kind of riled up. So uh, you may be right. He may already have known at that point. He was just trying to get him to reveal it. Right. It's 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 a weird scene, but I do like what they're doing there. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, yeah, at this moment, like, yeah, I don't know what is it. Is it the fishy fishy? Thing yes. Saying? Yes. Yeah, that was a weird thing that they kind of put in there. I, I get I get what it was, what it was, but it was like fishy it's, in the brook. Daddy caught you on the hook or something. Yeah, it was a weird little song. Like, I don't necessarily know how it all correlates, but I thought it was interesting enough with kind of what happened with Kathleen. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard it a couple times, I was like, oh, they were playing a game or something, maybe. Yeah. When they, And then, I guess we already said what happened. <laughs> I guess it's not giving too much away. But <laughs> it was some kind of game they were playing or something, and that's the reason why he threw her in the water? It sounds like that, and it... It almost seemed as well that she did something and he was a little bit too forceful. Because I know he was trying to take um, like a, a horn or something away from her. And it just seemed like it's an accident is what happened. But he just feels guilty about what happened. Yeah, I guess she couldn't swim or something. So when he threw her in the water, right. she just drowned. I mean, I'm just wondering if like what she was wearing did it weigh her down where she just kind of sunk to the bottom and she couldn't get back up or did she hit her head on something like I don't know oh, I don't know why be. she just could be would die. right I like, I feel like she just went underwater and just never came up in that little flashback <laughs> I was like waiting for it like what <laughs> to it but uh but yeah but he's really like right in his face kind yeah. of like you know what happened what happened so after this did we go to the uh, the wedding right away or is there something else that happened yes. before that Because I have that Kane decides she pushes Richard while his mother is in this state of shock and can't stop them, that they're going to get married. So they do have a wedding there. And then I actually have in my notes that Kane actually looks a lot like Kathleen at the wedding, like in her wedding dress and everything like that. And this is where we actually get the an interesting scene here where the doctor is pressing Kane to the point where it annoys her and she gets very upset looking for her husband and then he comes in from outside having been smoking and is kind of confused as to what was happening. Why was she so worried about where he had went? Was she kind of buying into some of the weirdness herself? or She seemed kind of I worried kinda, that he, had, he wasn't like within eye distance or something. I kind of took it as what you were saying is that she's kind of suspicious of him because he kind of does disappear at times. And I almost take it as well that the doctor keeps putting ideas into her head. And when, she, when he's not there to kind of put them to like rest 
she kind of gets upset about it. Yeah, because I almost felt like her taking him away. Because she kind of said, I got to get out of here. And they kind of go off right. to like a little side area or something, a side... Yeah, they go into like that barn and go up to like a hayloft or yeah. like the top of it where there's like animals and stuff below. But it almost felt like she just wanted him in eyesight and just her together so they knew, she knew that everything was good. Agreed. And get away from the pressure of, you know, everything else that the doctor was bringing. I definitely agree with you there. But this is kind of a weird moment here. Because this is where the doctor's going to... I thought he was following them. Yeah. But I guess he's... I don't know what if he's... Who he's following. I don't know either because... It's I know the nursery rhyme... Grounds, right? Oh, that nursery rhyme stuck with him because of the fish being on the hook. So he actually goes to their slaughterhouse. Oh, and that's where he went. Yeah. I didn't understand... Yeah. Okay, I didn't understand. Okay. Because actually, um, it struck me the time that I, I had put in my notes that the nursery rhyme stuck with him, and that's where he finds her because there's actually a pig in the background that is hanging on a hook as well. And I also have here that that doll is also in that same room. So the doctor uses the doll and the headstone shrine thing as bait, and this actually brings out our killer. Yeah, he kind of like puts the doll like in the middle of some kind of fountain like or something fountain? yeah yeah and the headstone yeah. and then everybody kind of comes out and sees it and kind of react to it but i think it's interesting here is that he's calling out richard here but i almost think this is him just trying to goad out billy and this is where it turns out where he comes out with the axe and is in a rage because he's trying to protect this doll what was kane's because kane kind of walks toward it like what is she trying to do um i just thought it was her trying to like look and see what he's doing because I know she hates the doctor so I think she's kind of thrown off. Is she trying to see if it really is a body or like what is she I think to? so because I mean like I said it looks like Louise does look a little bit. Is she trying to see if it's, if it's Louise or could be yeah because they all look alike but Billy's like he comes out with the axe right away he comes out of the shadow and starts swinging away at her which is also kind of funny going back to the psycho thing because he's definitely like Norman Bates here when he comes out in the cellar. His demeanor is very much Norman Bates, actually. I, I hadn't really thought yeah. about that till you just said it. But he's very low-key, very in the background. But then he just has these moments of rage. Yeah. Where he really transforms into a different person in those moments. For sure. So you, they really were trying to do this. They, there's a lot of moments where they really did try to do that. Yeah, I agree. So psycho with more blood. Got you. I'm, I'm seeing it. <laughs> <Right>. Kind of seeing it. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, and actually from here is where the doctor, I mean, actually this is kind of funny. This is also kind of like a psycho um, info dump that we get here is that we actually see it play out that Billy accidentally pushed his sister into the pond where she drowned. And then his way of coping is that he made a wax doll that he protects and we actually get a very weird last image where the doctor hits the doll in the face with the axe and then the credits roll. It felt Halloween to me for some reason. <laughs> That's, it, it's very it not? Weird. Like, was that Even the musical score they used at, the, at that moment, like it felt yeah. kind of like if, if a knife got stabbed in a pumpkin and then Halloween just ended and they played the Halloween music. Like it felt, I don't know why, like that moment where he just gets it with the axe. Well, the song is very eerie, so I see that. Yeah, it just had that kind of vibe to me. For sure. So I was like, that's... Because you usually get... So let me ask you this, because I'm not familiar again with the older movies. Do most yeah. of these movies, in the horror movies in the 60s, end with a freeze frame? 
Because um, I know in the 70s, that's really big to end on a freeze frame. They could. Like, it's not like... Because, um, I mean, like, even Psycho does kind of to an extent where you have the... Well, I don't even remember. Norman's, What's the last frame of that movie? Um, Norman looks up at the camera where you hear, like, his inner monologue saying that he's not going to harm a fly because... If he does, that'll show that, like, he's still kind of violent. Mm -hmm. And then his face kind of half turns into, like, the skull of his mother. And it kind of freeze frames on that. Um, You don't get a lot of it. You are right, though. It's more of, like, a 70s thing where it's, like, a stinger. Mm -hmm. But this movie, I think, is definitely, like, a precursor to that. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, that's a crazy image. Just the smashed up face of the girl with the axe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that, so how do you... What happens after that? I wonder. This is, you know, after after this movie happens, the after the after special. What happens with this family? Um, <laughs> I would they, actually. Uh, they just cover it up and go about. Um, <laughs> well, it actually be interesting if Billy doesn't die from the gunshot wounds. He definitely gets taken to like uh, an asylum where they would just kind of have him, you know, live out the rest of his days there for the most part. Um, I'd be actually curious to see if the mother ever recovers from her shock and if she ever finds out that her son was the one doing all of this. But if not, I definitely think that Richard and Kane take over the finances. That would be kind of what I would think would end up happening here. And I think they would get the money and leave and then they would uh, and then they would just cover it up. They would just put them they would just put them in a, a room in the <laughs> in the castle somewhere. Cover it For up. Sure. No, like I'm with you, as I think, especially Nobody because died. the royalties yeah, they have. Died. Nobody died here. They just put all the bodies back in the pond. <laughs> yep. Appearances have to be maintained, so I think you're right. This is uh, it's just interesting to see a young uh, Francis Ford Coppola do something here. For um, sure. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie that I don't know if I'll probably come back to. But we can jump into some reviews here in a minute. But before I get too in-depth in what I want to talk about. Yeah. Anything else you want no, to cover I'm, on this before we uh, get to that part, though? Um, I don't really think there's anything else I wanted to kind of cover. I think I kind of went through everything that I had. Okay, so we want to jump into the review. Um, yeah. And I never remember who went last time. I don't remember if you did or not. Um, I believe I'm up next. Okay, you're up next this week? Okay. Yeah. All right, bro. All right, for me, um, the acting, I thought it was fine. I don't think anybody necessarily stands out. But I think everybody kind of plays their role well enough. Um, I mean, it is kind of interesting to see Patrick McGee just because he plays such a weird character in a lot of different things. Um, so I came in with a three for the acting here. Man, we're on about the we're on the same page uh, so far because that's that's where I am. I made a three, uh, okay. probably for the similar reasons you have because nobody nobody really stuck out. So I did like uh, Luis' character a lot, but she didn't last very long in the movie. She was yeah. out of there pretty early because she probably could have solidified her role as my favorite character if she had a couple more scenes. But she was probably the best character that I liked. The Doctor is probably technique. my second favorite, maybe. Yeah, because she shows the most range, so it is a shame that she, you know, kind of gets killed off as our first. Yeah, she had like a what's that? What we were talking about, Marlene Clark. She had kind of like a Marlene Clark that she was going to do something. She was going to be interesting, yeah. but they didn't give her any time to do anything. But Agreed. so yeah, but I'm gonna go with a three also on that. Okay, um, and then for cinematography and effects, 
Uh, this movie is pretty bloody for the era, so I was kind of impressed there. And, I mean, kind of what we've already said is that we're seeing the real early signs of, like, what Coppola would do with some of the other things. I don't think he's perfected it here. I just think we're seeing kind of the early stages. So I went with a 3.5 for the cinematography and effects. Okay, I'm right about that same range. I'm at a 3 again on this one. Uh, it probably could have been a 3.5. I think it was shot relatively well. Um, and I did like how they did the, uh, like, the Luis's kill. And I did yeah. like some of the cool underwater stuff they did. So there were, there yeah. were some nice shots. I could have made a 3.5, but I think I'm going to stay at about a 3. Because okay. I really have a hard time because I don't have as many of these older movies kind of in my Rolodex of information. So okay. I don't know what kind of how to compare it to some of the other movies I've seen. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's for, for that part, it's kind of hard for me to know if this is what I'm seeing is regular or par for what, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what yeah. I'm seeing, where it ranks pretty much. So okay. I'm just going to stay at a three on that. Okay. Um, and then for the music here, this one actually had a pretty solid soundtrack. Um, we really get this one like reoccurring song that's very kind of eerie. And I mean, that almost kind of brings in that modern Gothic type thing here. And so I end up going with a four here, but a lot of that is going back with the cinematography is I love some of the musical stingers they're doing, especially in like Kathleen's room. So that's where I came in here. Okay. We're on the same page again, man. Cause I made a four on the music on this one. Cause I, I do like the more like, I don't know if you call it an epic soundtrack, but yeah, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more to the soundtrack. And I feel like in older movies, they used it a lot more to accentuate some of these you know, the, I guess a jump scare or whatever yeah. was happening. They really use that a lot. And I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. cool. Uh, yeah. So, and it, and I liked, I liked the, the music, like the way you said in the, uh, uh, Kathleen's room. I liked that yeah. moment. Um, I liked a lot of the music they chose actually. The way, the way that it, I can't think of how that one song goes, but it's like three or four notes. And then it's like a deep. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of a cool, dark sounding, uh, song. So I actually yeah. I made a four on that man. I actually thought it was pretty decent, and it really okay. did serve Perfect. the uh, the movie's uh, kind of tension as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then for the story and plot, I thought we kind of had some interesting stuff here. I do think it's kind of lacking a little bit. I think actually they would have fleshed out some of the characters a bit more. And I mean, as we were talking, I wish I would have gotten more about the actual family. Now we know that there's been a lot of tragedy and everything in this place. But so for me, I think because it is lacking some things, I think that actually we didn't even bring it up is the title Dementia 13 end up being placed in is that Billy has dementia because of what happened to him happened at his like 13th, like he was 13 when it happened. So he's kind of stuck in that psychosis. I just think there could have been more fleshed out with some of this type of stuff. Oh, so, that's why? Yeah, that's oh. what he end up like. Okay. That's like the happy kind of thing that they fell into place with. I don't think that's what they originally were going for, but when they were changing the title, that's how Coppola kind of justified it in his head. But because they don't flesh out some of this stuff, I came in with a 3.5 for the story. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, we're on the same, man, we're, except for one thing, we've been on the same page here today. Because <laughs> right. I got a 3.5 as well. Um, okay. And I felt the same way. Like, I really wanted to know more about the dad. I feel like the dad got the real short strip here. I, re- I wanted to know just a little bit more about him. Yeah. I really wish we could have learned a little bit more about the husband. He, also, he died really quickly. I wish Luis could have had a little bit more time so we can kind of 
get a little bit more of what she was trying, what she was going to do? Like, what was yeah. her next step after that? I don't know. We'll Agreed. never know. But I, I'd be interested to see, like, what else she would have came up with. But <laughs> it does feel like there's another story that we missed before this one. And yeah. whenever it feels like that, I always wish we could have got just a couple minutes of extra background. Right. Because even the house feels like there's the house has some kind of history. Like, it feels like there's yeah. there's things missing. So, yeah, I really wish we could have got more. I mean, it's the version I watched is 75 minutes. I think there's another version that may be like 83 minutes, maybe. But that's not yeah, a lot of footage added. Like that. Yeah, it's not that much footage added. So I, right. I doubt they really went into any of that when they shot this, really. Because we got to right. remember, this was a just a short idea that Coppola kind of came up with in the night. So yeah, it really wasn't like something he had time to sit down with and really... And flesh right. things yeah. out, right, yeah. So I'm going to be at a 3.5. It could, But like if they fleshed it out and gave us a little more, I mean, it really could have been... Because it's a, it's a good concept, I think. Yeah. It's just, Agreed. you just need a little bit more fleshing up. Yep. So 3.5, final answer. Okay. <laughs> and then for me, I did the experience. I enjoyed my time with it. I think that it's a much more violent film than you would see in the era, which is kind of an interesting type thing. And I mean, I just think this is a well-made movie for the budget and everything that they're working with here. So I came in once again here with a 3.5. Here we go again, man. We're on the same page. Again, I'm at a 3.5, too. Um, I thought it was, because we kind of jump into the action kind of right away. I mean, her husband yeah. dies right away, and then we get her plan right away. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm kind of with it, kind of seeing where we're going, trying to find out what's happening. So it kept my attention in that in that regard. Um, yeah. I did like the axe killings. I thought that added a little extra. Cause yeah. It was, I did like Luis's kid. I thought it was cool because as soon as she came out the water, he's chopping her up. Like, <laughs> she didn't yeah, even have time terrifying. to breathe, really, to catch her breath. <laughs> right. So I can imagine coming out. So I'm just like, there's a lot of great moments, but it's just some questions to be asked. So I don't, like and I was saying it earlier, I kind of alluded to it. I don't know if I would come back to this movie. Yeah. But it was interesting watch for, the, for a one-timer, maybe, just to yeah. kind of see... Uh, where Ford Coppola was at that time, and just to kind of, I don't know, I, I always like seeing directors early to see what somebody else saw. Yeah. That maybe made them think, you know, this guy may have something. So I'm always sure. interested in that. So all in all, it really wasn't a bad movie, so I'm going to give it a, a 3.5. Okay. The same score you did. So we're on the same page almost on every category. That's, that's, yeah, we are. I, I promise you guys crazy. listening at home, we don't pre-plan our reviews. We literally hear each other's reviews on the spot. So if you're listening That's to true. this, this is an on the spot. We never plan to have the same thing or anything like that. That's true. We have no idea what the other person is going to give this stuff. So it's crazy that we fell in line as much as we did. We never even talk about it in our pregame, really, what our final reviews are. We kind of always leave nope. that a secret. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, especially because, I mean, for me, the more we kind of talk about these type of things, like my scores, like I put them down before we even like hit record. And then I might alter things as we kind of talk about stuff just because it might make me realize something I didn't know. So that's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's usually my thing. I'll have my scores written down after I do all my notes. And then I'll come back and while we're talking and I might up or down something as we're talking right. about it. Because you might, because that happens a lot, actually. You'll, you'll, you'll catch something I didn't catch or you'll see something I didn't catch and it might make me think, oh, you know what? So, yeah, that happens all the time. But literally... We never plan it. It's always like a surprise <laughs> right. when we're on the same page. 
But okay, three point five was mine. So, uh, what's your uh, final percentages on here, man? Yeah, for me, um, as you were kind of talking about it, I don't necessarily know if I will come back to this one either. Like, I enjoyed my time with it. I don't necessarily know if there's too much more that I need to kind of rewatch to delve into it. So for me, I came in probably like around like a 7.5 or like a 75% on this movie is that I think it's, as you were saying, an interesting piece of cinema for such a legendary director to kind of see his humble beginnings and to kind of see what he could do with a low budget horror movie and make it interesting. I just don't know if I will come back to it, but I definitely would recommend, especially if you're a Coppola fan, just to kind of see, you know, his like early works. Okay. And I'm going to be just a little bit below you. I'm going to be closer to about a 70. Okay. Uh, maybe like a 68 to 70 range. I'm going to be right around that. Yeah. Um, I, I actually thought it was pretty good. Um, but again, it's just not really something I'll probably come back to. Uh, I yeah. always watch the movies a couple of times for the reviews. And it really wasn't, I, I picked up some stuff, but it really wasn't a lot. I don't yeah. feel like you'll gain much from rewatching it as far as like right. more information or answers. Like some, some you'll get a little bit, but we've, we've kind of covered everything that they kind of talked about. So you're just not going to really get too much extra. And it, yeah. if, if you're not going to get anything extra on the rewatch or then it's usually not a rewatch for me. So right. um, that's fair. Yeah. So like I say, I'm at about a, about a, I'll, I'll, I'll say, a, I'll stay at a 70. I'll say a 70 okay. for, a, for a clean number. But I would recommend it, again, for anybody, um, kind of like how David was saying, that wants to see some of the early For Coppola work, if you're a fan of his, or even if you're a fan of older cinema. I mean, this is an older horror movie. This is something yeah. that I haven't really uh, had a good amount of exposure to. So I feel like it'll be, it was fun to kind of dive into this, kind of head first with no real, not, no real concept of what I was going to get. I thought yeah. that was kind of fun. So I'm that kind of movie watcher. I like to dive into stuff sometimes. So if you're that kind of person, I think this would be something cool to dive into and just, you know, get a little experience from it. But oh, in yeah, general, sure. I don't know if this is the movie you're going to be looking for if you're just an average movie watcher. You're probably yeah. not looking for this kind of movie. <laughs> but if you're a deep diver, this is always what I say. A deep diver, this is definitely something you want to check out. Oh, great. But your average movie watcher probably is not even on your radar. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna stay at my seventy, and that that was my final final word on that. Okay. All right. Um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of to wrap up this review then? Um, no, I don't have anything else uh, about okay. it. Uh, I just want to say I appreciate everybody for listening to us and, and taking these uh, journeys, these side quest journeys with us all the time. Oh, great. It's it's, it's a lot of fun, there. man, and I always enjoy. Uh, you know, getting to watch these movies and talk to you about them, man. It's always a great time. Yeah, same here. So you got anything going uh, with Journey with a Cinephile, man? You want to plug before we get out? Um, I guess just for me is I know it'll probably be already out by the time this episode gets dropped, but I will be doing my top nine of 1951. That list will be coming out. And then I will be knocking out, um, you know, just more movies I go. I think I might be doing something this summer. I'm waiting for more details to be doing with that. It actually won't be on my podcast, but it might be on somebody else's. So I'm going to kind of hold on to that until, you know, more things get released. But I'm, you know, pretty excited about anything with that. Is there anything that you wanted to plug here? Um, I don't have too much going on right now. Just my usual uh, stuff I usually have with videos and yeah. uh, all the stuff I got going with Dark Mariachi Studios. But uh, one thing I am working on, and hopefully it, it does pan out, 
but I'm trying to get my mom to jump back on the podcast with me. We used to do some uh, podcasts okay. a while yeah. back, and she's really wanting to uh, uh, do it again. So okay. I'm, we're probably going to cover, because she's a really big fan of maybe late 80s and 90s cinema. She okay. loves action movies. For some reason, Steven Seagal's her favorite action movie guy. I don't know why. Okay. And, um, Interesting. Yeah. And she loves like 90 uh, black cinema. So okay. it's going to be an interesting mix if I can, you know, touch base with her and really get that going. That's going to should okay. be an interesting show because I don't even know what we're going to cover. But All right. it should be interesting. If you go to uh, Guitar Case Full of Reviews, uh, I know we had some episodes with her co-hosting, so you might check that out and see, kind of see, because she's a really smart and funny lady, so she has some some weird takes on some stuff. Okay, I'm excited. So that'll be an interesting thing to jump into. And once I get that going, guys, I'll, I'll make sure I definitely uh, plug that. Perfect. But just get your ears ready for that, because she's it's, it's going to be a fun time, I'm sure. <laughs> but all right, man, that's all I really have. Um, if, you, if you don't have anything okay. else, we can close it out. All right. Yep, I think that's all I have on my end. So what I will say is, you know, to kind of echo things that Jake had been saying here is thank you so much for listening. I will say that whatever you do today, I hope you're safe and doing. Have a great time out there. This is David from Journey with a Cinephile, and I am signing off. And it's your main man, Jake, from Dark Mariachi Studios. And don't forget, be one of us. Come on a journey with a cinephile. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Sidequest. I think cinephiles are, are on this other end of the spectrum. But I think a cinephile is more of a student of cinema. A movie lover is going to be less discriminated. Sidequest. Drink some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Sometimes, that is better. I'd be sick of fucks using one too many movies. No. Don't you blame the movie! Sidequest. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains. Okay. Show me. SideQuest. The podcast. You opened it. We came. It's just a podcast. We'll review your movie from every angle. SideQuest.